Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Peter Demos is an artist who lives and works in Brooklyn. We sat down to talk about his show Horizon at the Journal Gallery in Williamsburg. Every time Peter and I talk, we get pretty deep into all things painting. This time was no different. We get into minimal electronic music, the space between paintings, and a possible return to the Hudson River School. Here's our discussion. Make sure it sounds good. I stopped and got a shot of espresso at Blue Bottle, and I took a picture oh, of the, nice. uh, the outside ad, which the is The billboard cool. is good. Yeah. I like the, the design is good with the repetition yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. It's like, it ended up being like, well, what's funny about it is those are, uh, they always select a different color for each show. Mm-hmm. And randomly, it was hilarious that we got black and white for my show because. Oh, that's random? Yeah, it was totally random. No, it's got to be planned. I, I, every show is like a different color and it's usually like a super bright, like, yeah. Insane like the color. last one was super pink. Right? Yeah, and then I think the first show I did here was just like crazy kind of teal, like seafoam green, which oh, was yeah. amazing. And then it was so funny when they came back with the design for it and it was black and white. Well, that's it works. cool. It works. Yeah, they could have hit history. it with that hot pink though. Yeah, so good. And the sandwich board is cool too. I like the sandwich board. Yeah, that's it brings good. you in. So um, I guess we can, before we get into the, the show that's up now that we're at, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit uh, about what it was like to grow up in Colorado. Uh, Colorado was, you know, it was just kind of growing up uh, very normal suburban, I guess, childhood. What? Where were you? Were you close to Boulder or Denver? Or? I was in Denver. Uh, grew up in, born in Wheat Ridge. Grew up in Littleton, um, which pretty much defines like the American suburb. Yeah. Or whatnot. Um, and growing up there, I mean, I was interested in like skating, snowboarding. Uh, punk music, whatnot, kind of just like being a teenager. And then uh, when it came, after finishing high school, I knew I needed to like get out, want to kind of yeah. explore, get out and move on to go to college and ended up going to school in Kansas City at the Art Institute for undergraduate. So how did you find Kansas City? It was weird. It was uh, really for me about getting, I knew I wanted to go to an art school mm-hmm. and Kansas City was kind of had a really interesting program and I didn't know if I was ready for New York or Chicago or moving out west but did I you know anyone who went there or no you just kind of looked into schools and that seemed like a I mean I looked one. into like the classic like art schools like SVA Chicago Maryland whatnot yeah. and then Kansas City was interesting because I had such a really intimate program mm-hmm. but also it was somewhat close to home it's like only a seven hour eight hour drive yeah uh, from Denver, but also much more affordable. Yeah. And, you know, they, the city, they had an interesting, like, yeah, they would come to high schools in Denver and you'd go through that whole thing. And, yeah. Um, but it ended up being like a really kind of interesting place at the time. There's a lot going on with music, especially in Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, really? Um, Is it? Yeah. It was kind of cool music scene, but also like really kind of cool, like, off the beaten path kind of art scene, like mm-hmm. a lot kind of going on in Kansas City. There were a lot of 
artist-run galleries, some commercial galleries, and some art districts. So it was a really interesting kind of place to think about starting, getting really serious into yeah. art. What years were you there? I was there 2000 to 2004 is when I graduated. And then from there, I moved out here to New York to do my master's at Hunter. So how did you, before you went to art school, what you were just into art as a kid? Was it like around the house or how did you get introduced to I've always loved drawing as a kid. And I think, you know, that really comes from my parents growing up. Whenever needed to be occupied they'd give us a crayon and a piece of paper yeah. and you know I think about it today and I'm really happy about that because it really I think started from an early age mm-hmm. um, my parents were always good about bringing me to museums like as a young kid to art museums and I always loved looking at uh, sort of classical painting and yeah. old old scenes of like battleships and whatnot yeah, yeah. it was cool but I think it really started there and like just a love for drawing Mm -hmm. and then you know growing up with it I was always drawing and coloring and whatnot but uh, in high school I really became interested in photography Mm -hmm. which uh, really was kind of the intro into my experience or thinking about art and I don't know why I all of a sudden was interested in photography maybe it was like skateboarding and snowboarding because did you used to get like magazines and stuff I mean that stuff being big for me yeah I mean it was like we'd go to shows or whatnot and take photos of bands yeah. and take photos of skateboarding and it was like not really art but it was an intro into the dark room yeah and once i got into the dark room i was really just sort of fascinated by process mm-hmm. and even like thinking today like that's really sort of a foundation that i've always been interested in in terms of work is yeah. some sort of relationship to technology or a process that goes whether it's painting or photography or whatnot because like really early on and as a kid like I'd be just fascinated with how you could manipulate a photograph through different chemicals mm-hmm. or light exposures or whatnot and you know even though I hadn't really I wasn't really painting then or in, introduced into painting it became a way to just think about manipulating an image yeah which is kind of the foundation and you're pretty process oriented in your work i mean it's a big part of the way that you're making stuff so i guess that was the seeds were planted back then right yeah i think so i mean really i mean today it's i still am very rigorous in use of photoshop and Mm -hmm. um even the way that i think about building space in a painting or building an image is really kind of based in a collage type thought process which comes out of uh like a manipulation of photos yeah so when you were at uh kansas city what were you doing there what was your work like oh it was bad (laughs) (laughs) um i don't know like kansas city is really when i began i thought i was going to do photo when i went to kansas city Mm -hmm. and then when it kind of came time to choose uh like a direction or whatnot or a focus of the school for some reason i went into painting and it might have been just because the studios were cooler. Yeah. And I just wanted <laughs> <laughs> better. The draw. studios were in this old, uh, this old building that was like a turn of the century, sort of beautiful mansion. Yeah. And kind of don't see that a lot in art schools anymore. But that's alluring. Yeah. To spend all your time in there making stuff. You know? And I think that I really 
chose it based on real estate. Yeah. <laughs> <At the time laughs> it was a, which is kind of funny, but also, you know, painting, I was really interested in the, the professors at the time and what they were kind of offering and mm-hmm. that taking that track, I went through sort of this way of thinking about painting that was, um, or the professors I studied with were much more focused on like a more open idea of what painting could be. Yeah. So that direction was, although I was interested in photography, the kind of way that I looked at it was through a multidisciplinary mm-hmm. um, lens. Yeah. So I think I could do both. And there was also a strong uh, inf- uh, emphasis on printmaking mm-hmm. too in that program. So I think I kind of wanted to combine these multiple ways of thinking and process based too yeah in a different way were you doing all sorts of printmaking or uh silk screening silk screen. etching whatnot um yeah. i would love silk screening um which has never really sort of phased into the work but even the way that i'm working now it's it still feels kind of like printmaking similar process of similar process building the image through layers of a process basically yeah. right yeah yeah Absolutely. Yeah, I had a lot of printmaking, you know, in undergrad and then in grad school was a painting and printmaking program and it was always around and I think the way I work is so tuned into how, you know, I was making prints. It's like this process of building an image, it's like an architectural approach to, you know, creating an image. It was I kind of love that step by step process of doing it. Well I think it's a it's an interesting way to construct visual space. Yeah. And I think the foundation, the way that I think about painting now is really sort of a, in a way the spaces are designed or the the image is designed and predetermined. And then I go through a process to um, sort of stick to what the intention of what that image does. Yeah. Um, So in a way, like it relates back to this idea of printmaking, like where these paintings can then, the current work is also so much about this idea of like having original and uh, variations on the original. So it kind of goes all back into this idea of uh, an image being repeated over and over again through variations or whatnot. Yeah. Um, which I, I mean, it really does relate back to sort of this earlier work that I was doing in school or whatnot. Um, I wonder where it comes from when you're a kid. Cause there's some people who are just so immediate they just want to do things like just throw paint on the canvas and just find their way that way. And then there's other people who just love to like step by step, it, <laughs> you know, I like it's such a, a different way of being creative. And I kind of love it. Same with music. There's the improvisers who just want to go out there and, and just do it and, yeah. and, and have that moment and react to things in real time. And then there's the people who compose and spend weeks like working on this composition and practicing that. And, you know, it's such a different process. Well, it, it's interesting, like, you know, a while ago, like, really the foundations for this work became, started with uh, this series of works that I was doing where I'd take a finite amount of paint, mm-hmm. uh, mix a color, and then have a panel. And I was interested in uh, this idea of, like, how gravity would affect the paint and making the mark, and I'd pour the paint on the panel, then sort of tip the panel, and uh you'd get this kind of gesture or this kind of paint blob or Mm -hmm. smear. So I'd repeat that over and over and over again through a series of 15 panels where uh, that mark then had different forms based on the process in which it was applied. So it'd be kind of how gravity affected it. And 
I mean, from that point, I really realized that I was interested in ideas of systems and repetition over and over and over again, whether it be through a gestural mark or through a structure in the composition. Yeah. Um, but I think that's been a very big part of all the work that I've produced since school and now and uh, into the future is this idea of um, creating systems or working within systems that can be altered over and over again, but retain sort of a, a regular logic. Yeah. So I, I've never been able to <laughs> understand, like, I haven't, I can't make, like, super sloppy paintings. I don't know how to. Like, yeah. I, I just, I, the brain, my brain doesn't think that way. Right. Unless there's, like, a context for understanding or a system put into play to understand how a mark is made or, like, that gesture, like, it all, all has to be rationalized in a certain way. So yeah. in a way, like, I'm very rational in the way that it may work and, I mean, it all it and it kind of goes back to like Lichtenstein's like brush marks. Mm -hmm. Like I always love that idea, like the pre-painted expressive mark. Yeah. So in a way, like I do have a interest in a relationship to kind of how that mark exists in Lichtenstein's work. Yeah. Um, we have this preconceived, you know, or taught notion that gesture is this physical act that happens spontaneously with a lot of emotion, you know? But yeah. I think it's just as much of a gesture. Like, the gesture is that process and that kind of planning and that, you know, measured approach to creating. That can be just as much of a gesture as anything else. Yeah. And I think about it in music a lot, too. Like, I like to compare things to music and the process of that. And, I mean, it's interesting that you were into punk when you were younger, which is that kind of, you know, immediate there's an immediacy and a rawness to it that you could think of as being that expressive gesture well and there's like an immediacy and a rawness and like obviously the politics involved and whatnot mm -hmm. and like an energy that's embedded with that and yeah like what came out of interest in that was like becoming overly interested in like political theory or whatnot and sociology yeah. and then somehow that moved into like being much more interested in like systems or whatnot and yeah. how these sort of function on a larger kind of scale. And I mean, the I idea of energy or something like that in a painting, I think can be achieved multiple ways. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one way that I, I think about it now is, uh, you know, to make something that has a very impactful experience on the viewer in terms of painting, like it doesn't, doesn't have to be like a extreme gestural kind of full of energy painting it like I'm interested in creating stuff that optically and physically affects viewer through the least <laughs> amount yeah. of like uh, presence of like myself in the painting right yeah I think of like when I'm thinking the musical equivalent I guess I'm thinking of like people like Philip Glass or Stephen Reich yeah. who have these real structures that modulate and change and that's kind of where the expression or this dedication to this slow build and repetition of sounds you yeah. know that create an amazing um i don't know i guess it's this large system of creating sound and music yeah uh, are you interested in those guys too and i mean a little bit i it's not something i've explored deeply into i mm -hmm. think um it's really interesting like growing up and like initially being interested in punk rock how that is kind of 
kind of come back full circle on itself right mm -hmm. now because I'm really interested in sort of um, really sort of early minimal synth music now. Yeah. Um, which seems to be like, and it's kind of a cousin of punk rock. It's related in some way, but it's also coming out of, you know, a lot of different kind of things like, like minimal electronic music, early kind of dance music, but there's a weird starkness and a weird kind of element of uh, punk that's involved with it, but yeah. it's in kind of a different genre. Is there anyone in particular that you've been listening to lately that you really? Uh, I've been listening a lot of like Grier's Connection, mm -hmm. um, Span Artifact, uh, a lot of stuff on Minimal Wave Records. Yeah, their re their company is like amazing. Um, just a lot of kind of that stuff. Yeah, I remember when I got to school and I first started using the computer, but not like directly in my work, but I was fiddling around with images and yeah. playing with Photoshop. It was like the first time. I was in a computer lab. I didn't have my own computer, so I was kind of just entering into that process. And right around that time, I was really getting into Autechre. Like I just yeah. started finding them out. And Absolutely. that seemed pretty punk. I mean, that was cold removed and it just had it was really interesting to me because i'd never heard anything that was that yeah kind of um i don't know isolated from the per it just felt like machines were making it but it was really crunchy and hard in a way like, yeah you know and it didn't have that this kind of corny narrative that like death metal or heavy metal had to it yeah, in, yeah. in a way or like the showmanship or something it was just raw kind of aggressive angles and and kind of scratchiness to it that I loved. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like, when you when you get interested in a type of music, and I think it's the same for painting, like, you'll be very interested in something. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, if you follow the logic of that thing, and you kind of move through these different genres or things that are related to it, and you end up somewhere you didn't expect, but it mm -hmm. still has a similar, it still has a foundation that's, like, it's the same. It's like the undercurrent is... Well, it's like I started with like really crappy SoCal punk mm -hmm. <laughs> and ended up like, okay, I got to listen to something that's like way more real or something. So you end up like going through like Minor Threat and Fugazi and whatnot. Right. And you start going through like Discord and then you start getting into old school punk from like the UK or whatnot. And then somehow through listening all that, I ended up back on like Joy Division and New Order. Yeah. And then through there, it like starts into this other kind of world of like yeah. new wave and all that stuff. And it, it's interesting because I think the same can be said for like uh, how I think about painting or how I'm looking at artists or experience in painting historically. You start looking at something and then how it influences the work or mm -hmm. deal with some of these issues over time. And I mean, even in the art world, I think like there's this kind of going back to themes or whatnot or ideas in painting that you all of a sudden kind of have a new idea or a new approach to yeah. how that can either have relevance today or not or a critique of that or something yeah I think I mean a lot of my work deals with that too is looking back at these um, traditional ideas of abstraction or whatnot and kind of looking at them with a new light right and it's every time there's well over time the environment changes things change but you come back to these 
ideas that other people were bringing up in the past and they mean something different or they're seen in a different light, which is always really interesting. I remember when I was in school, um, my roommate left an art in America in the restroom and uh, I would just, it was uh, John Wesley was on the cover. And I didn't know who he was really, you know, it was like, it's weird. It was like a guy, guy in his underwear chasing a duck and I didn't understand it. Yeah. And, uh, but I just saw it every day in there. And sooner or later, I, I was like, well, I got to find out who this guy is. And seeing his work when it came out and it being like the second tier, or like people, it was just kind of like a weird yeah. version of pop stuff. It wasn't, you know, it had too much sex and too much like goofiness in it, I think, yeah. for it to really catch on in the original time that he was making that work. But in seeing it in, you know, the 90s, it's a total different context and it's really exciting to see that work in that sense. So yeah. I guess that's why he kind of hit it. People became interested in him again and seeing his work in a new light because in relation to what's going on in the contemporary world, I feel like that must happen all the time with digital in the digital realm. Cause there's certain artists who were doing stuff pre computer or, you know, yeah. pre digital art and then seeing it now, it has a totally different, you know, context to be seen. And that's exciting. It kind of, reinvigorates that work well yeah and it's, it's interesting because like the the idea of constantly recycling images and they kind of lose these lose their ground in a way mm-hmm. where uh, it still has some of it still has relevance today and in, in a really kind of interesting new way yeah um, I mean I'm absolutely fascinated with that and I mean there's this idea in, in art to you know, come up with something that's so completely original and right. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be challenged with that task. Like that's that's insane to me. I think yeah. um, following kind of the trajectory of your interest or whatnot is, I think, more important than looking to sort of look at these problems, rediscover these problems, mm-hmm. uh, and push them forward. It's yeah. interesting to me. I mean, uh, there's so much to gain through looking at the history of and whatnot. I mean, yeah. I'm absolutely fascinated with, I mean, obviously with minimalism and op art and whatnot, but I think sort of taking these ideas and put putting things together that might not necessarily have been associated in the past, you mm-hmm. can create this kind of hybrid yeah. in a way. That's well, arts, exciting. art's a language, right? So yeah. those are the words that we have to use. And, you know, there is this people want you to create a new language, you know? And it's like, well, it's a pretty great language and you can say something new with these words, which are images, you know, by using that as an influence and and creating your own images that talk through that language, you know? Yeah. We have this fascination with like, it's gotta be something new, something different, you know? And um, it's always gonna be new and different, I feel like. Yeah. Even if you're trying to do the same exact thing as someone else, it's gonna be new and different. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah. So the show that we're at now at the Journal Gallery, um, these paintings, when I saw them all together, one thing that popped in my head that maybe hadn't popped into my head when visiting your studio or seeing your work in the past was there's kind of, and I may be way off, but there was kind of a cinematic feel to it or this feeling of film or the, I don't know, it reminded me of of movies and I have no idea why, but not literally, you know, I think movies. I think that's there for sure I mean it's not something um, maybe it is something that's in the work I don't know I think for a long time I've been fascinated with uh, Warhol's shadow paintings mm-hmm. and I think 
you know, when we decided to do the show, I had kind of a general idea of what I wanted to do with the work, and then also kind of, it was a new project for me, and I didn't know kind of how it was going to end up. Yeah. I knew I wanted to do a show of paintings that wasn't necessarily a show of paintings Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, it being not your typical show of like a painting on this wall all kind of hung at the same height all spaced out in a way where you go and you experience a painting um, solely individually and like a traditional kind of way you experience painting yeah Um, so it was very important to me to sort of create a body of work that uh, was where you could not only see the paintings individually but as a group yeah the idea of uh, having multiple paintings and and a group seen together is really sort of the ideal way to experience the work because they do interrelate. It's the idea that you do read them both in a line and individually. So I think there's this idea of like, they are, I mean, you could look at them as either stills from sort of a larger kind of scene mm-hmm. or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it, they are very much about sort of movement and the way that we experience visual space in mm-hmm. each work. And there's a rhythmic feel to the way that you see them. The way yeah. you installed it, it kind of has this rhythm to it. Yeah. But at the same time, there's these little glitches in the rhythm. You know, there's kind of like that line bends a little bit or that color pops out. Yeah. But it's very subtle, but it has that. And there's like this letterbox feeling that there might be this consistency in the middle and these things are fluttering on the top and bottom. You know, it's working. I felt for me, the installation of it and the group was creating something more than, like you're saying, just the individual paintings on the wall. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's definitely intended in the yeah. work. I think, and what's interesting, they're not, um, the paintings aren't that forgiving. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah. they, I think they ask a lot of the viewer in yeah. terms of like, kind of what you were saying, like this line bends a little bit, that one doesn't. Yeah. And it's really about creating those sort of subtle variations over the larger, larger group because the paintings are quite large and I mean about 100 by 100 inches each like like one of the lines will bend like maybe a quarter of an inch to a half inch (laughs) which is like over an expanse of 100 inches like is not that much so it's really kind of interesting as you spend time with the work like you really get to notice the different nuances and I mean that's something that I think is really important to uh to painting and making art and whatnot is making art that you actually that does something yeah over time that unfolds that you have to look at and you can have an experience with in that time and place like i'm not really interested in making art that can sort of be reproduced in photography like yeah you don't get you don't get what they do if you experience them just through like a mediated image which is pretty punk. I mean, to, to ask people to look at that quarter of an inch and to not kind of like make the work that accessible in other media. You know what I'm saying? Which yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's weird because it, it seems pretentious too. And like, it seems like it asks a lot. You know? Yeah, but um, I think it's, it's about, that's a really poetic thing to ask of people. And I feel like it's, it's something that is important for a medium like painting, which is what it is, you know yeah. what I mean, to, to be able to have that conversation with people. Who knows how many people pay attention? To that. I always worry about that or think about that. 
you know, people's attention span today as opposed to maybe 50 years ago. Imagine how much shorter the attention span is. I mean, it's just, you know, and like I'm working on a show now that the the work, <coughs> it's Excuse so me. subtle, you know, like the, the little things that I'm trying to get people to notice about these places that I've gone and looked at, that they're just so subtle that I feel like people are probably just going to walk through, look at it real quick and say, oh, that's yeah. that, and then just leave. But it's the risk you take if you want to kind of quietly focus in on these little moments in life, you know? Yeah, and I think that's like, um, I want art to ask something of somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, I want them to... I mean, the most in- important experiences I've had with art is like, when you have that experience where it's there in that time, and it's like, you just have to go. Yeah. You just have to go see it. Like, that's you have to see it in person. You have to see it in person. And I mean, unfortunately, I mean, we live in a world that's kind con- constantly moving towards a direction where it's resisting, resisting, resisting. Yeah. Like, um, experience a firsthand experience with yeah. something. I mean, it's everything's mediated through the internet, Instagram, everything, like television, and whatnot. And it, you know, I've always been like. Uh, really interested in like postmodern writing and whatnot and mm-hmm. uh, also like Peter Halley's work and his writings and talking about the hyper real and all these kind of things but it's like when they were writing that stuff it's like they were doing with television yeah yeah <laughs> and like that was kind of like maybe I mean like Paul Dregard was writing like about the mediated image of like the Gulf War and whatnot and like experience through like the television camera and whatnot, but like, it's so insane now. Yeah, it's how just exploded. Technology has like impacted into our life, and you know, I I do think like there is a relationship to those kind of ideas in the paintings and whatnot. Either if it's sort of creating a metaphor, illustrating, or commenting on kind of those ideas or our experience in the world now, I yeah. think. Uh, is very much a part of that and of that and it doesn't take like a pro or con kind of position but i think they come out of that experience of how we sort of move throughout the world yeah now. um and with this said i i think that's the beauty of or that's what's so interesting about abstraction to me yeah is this ability to sort of like negate sort of any direct reading through uh, image or narrative or whatnot and mm-hmm. sort of give, present something that's like, okay, deal with it. Yeah. Deal with the situation. And, you know, you're not always going to get, it doesn't, I mean, you're not always going to get a very patient viewer. I mean, you know, this is the classic, like, I don't, it's just a couple of colors yeah, on the canvas. It's like, but it's, it's really like, look at the thing. Yeah. Look at the thing. Without the narrative, it's it's stripped. It's like the yeah. direct experience. That's yeah. a pretty interesting argument for abstraction. That I don't. Th- I mean, generally, you think okay, abstraction is you're you're taking out the narrative and you're you're talking about this. You know, the signifier is is taken out, and it's really about that image and the paint on the camera, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's a direct kind of like feeling of whether it's formal issues or whether it's the way yeah. it's created. But, you know, thinking about it in relation to the way our direct experience has changed because of technology, it's it's really interesting. Yeah. You know? But uh, then, I mean, I've heard the argument, too, that there's a lot of abstraction currently that's 
kind of like an empty, you know, an empty process of. Yeah, I mean, it, but. But that happens, I'm sure, with every. I think, I, I don't know, I'm not. I know what you mean. It, it, it's interesting. It, there is a lot of like really, really sort of empty abstraction. And I don't know. I, well, I've talked, I've talked with other people about this, this idea of really believing in what you're doing. Yeah. And that it's romantic and maybe I'm getting older and it, it means more to me, but this feeling that you really believe in what you're doing and maybe it's exasperated by the fact that so much of what is presented to us visually these days is mediated and altered and filtered and tweaked and what is it about this real experience? Well, and I, I think, you know, there's there's a larger kind of idea of like what has been going on and sort of like young artists today or whatnot and sort of in the, for lack of a better term, the zombie abstraction yeah. kind of thing that's been going around and, you know, this idea of kind of just constantly changing processes and having this painting that's, I don't know, like made through this process and no one that's ever used. Like, there is an emptiness to it. And yeah. I think the way I feel about that is it's okay to paint. Like, it's okay to make paintings yeah. and it's okay, like, you don't have to constantly search for whatever brand that might be. Like, I'm not really interested in being that artist that uses this particular technique. Like, right. it's more about, I think what's important is like looking at the history and looking through and um, utilizing the medium for what it's good for. Mm -hmm. And like trusting in it and like actually believing in it. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to a friend the other day. I was like, maybe paintings like should look more like paintings <laughs> and less like, and less like comments on being a painting. Right. Like, I don't know. It could be interesting if like really romantic oil painting came back. I mean, right. that might be really, really interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we were just kind of joking around, but I think there is a truth to that. Like, I spend so much time in the studio, like trying to make the paintings, like not have brush marks and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like they are so much about being paintings and they're kind of in a way paintings for painters, like who believe in it. Yeah. And you know, that might be, I don't know if that's like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd like to go back. Like, it's interesting we were talking, too, a little bit about, you know, the painting presenting itself in the space and, like, not having this reference to, like, narrative or whatnot. But it's funny, too, like, in the show and your experience of it as sort of filmmaker having that quality, I think it really has to deal with, like, the install. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> what's what's funny is, like, prior to this body work, I'd been doing all diptychs that had... Uh, paintings that would read one paint on the left, one paint on the right. Mm -hmm. And which immediately involves like plays with how we read imagery and whatnot, left or right, and sort of this way of building a narrative within yeah. two seemingly abstract images. Um, and for the show, I really kind of wanted to undermine that idea and present a body of work that instead of having the diptychs left and right, having diptychs that were top and bottom. Mm -hmm. So the way that we visually compare something like left to right and you see in like diptychs, even in like an abstract image, you'll start comparing left to right and you go back and forth. It's much more difficult to read, to compare top and top bottom. And bottom. Yeah. So even though that they're, all the paintings have this like 
one inch gap in the middle. They appear to be this um, sort of big, like square present in your vision of field. So you're, yeah. you're having this situation where you're then confronted by the painting, not just as field, but as two objects on the wall. And you're reading less about left to right than you're present like in the center yeah. of the thing. So it has this overall presence like as it the viewer looks at it. And then even though like I was trying to get away from that left to right thing, then when like hanging the show we have this sort of long line of paintings that yeah. then they read go left, left to right. right. <laughs> so it kind of folds in on itself. Yeah. And then so well and I'm, I am interested in the idea of why, while undermining sort of a narrative within the specific sets, mm -hmm. the narrative is then reintroduced over the larger context of the show. Yeah. Um, which I think is really kind of interesting and somewhat like kind of complex way of thinking about an image that doesn't have like a grounding yeah. in like a direct sign or signified. Yeah. So in a way, I think like then the paintings then become almost stand-ins for themselves. Mm -hmm. they, they exist as themselves and then simultaneously become representations and abstractions of themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of... That's how I was thinking about it when we put the show together. Yeah. I really like, too, that that middle gap in between the top and bottom diptych become a different kind of schism in the in the flow of the image so you'll have like those dips of the quarter inch or yeah. the shifts in color and then you also have the negative space becoming a positive or taking a role in the image too yeah um, i've always been interested in you know the space in between paintings not literally but yeah. literally too in this case you know there's a literal space in between those paintings but you know how if you hang this painting next to that painting what happens in between those paintings like how yeah. does that change the meaning of the other one or how does it change the meaning to have them next to each other and and what distance and you know um that's one of my favorite parts about showing work is you know you work on the paintings generally as images or whatever you're doing and then yeah. thinking about okay these infinite way um amounts that you can change things by the way you install it or the way yeah. the height you do it and you know it's such an exciting thing and i you know, when I started making animations and doing video work, that opened up a whole nother door for me. And I didn't even intend to. It was I kind of came to that by accident. But all the different ways you can show that work. And it can yeah. be seen outside and inside and projected large and small scale. It's such an interesting part of, you know, the post-studio process of, like, what happens when the work leaves? Oh, and how absolutely. Do you, how do you hang it? And what does that mean, you know? I mean, and that was, that was kind of the great thing about this project is like, I hadn't seen any of these together. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I saw one painting at a time. And then it's that sort of like moment when you're like, Oh, okay. So this is what I made. Like I knew this was kind of what I was making, right. but it's cool wow, to see this is what I made in, you know, all together. Not yeah. many of us have like, you know, an 8,000 square foot studio That's where true. we can just see all this, you know, our mini retrospective yeah. and then know exactly how it's going to look in the space. And then still, it, even if you did, it would change. Because every space that work goes to is totally changes the way it feels, yeah. you know, which is really interesting. Well, I was, yeah, and I'm excited too, like, kind of the idea of the space in between and literalizing that in the work and having, um, you know, the two panels of the each painting or two canvases for each painting 
and they're about a like 50 by 100 wide so mm -hmm. you really get a painting that's like 101 inches by 100 um and we went through like a lot of ideas about the title for the show and like really i'd never title the work mm -hmm. ever everything's untitled Untitled, and yeah. it's a total nightmare when going back through images but um <laughs> you know an untitled number 423 oh uh, yeah there's very few numbers yeah i started numbering and then i didn't but i don't know but it's really interesting to try to title a show and like yeah. especially when i don't really spend a lot of time i'm not concerned really with titling like i don't want to add too much of a context to understand the work but the yeah idea of like calling the show horizon was interesting because you know direct it's really what we were doing with or what i'm doing within the work is like this empty sort of like space in between becomes this horizon line like that's dead center of the paintings and then everything is kind of based off that so each painting then has like three or four different kind of horizons that exist in the painting so it really became you know there it's like as soon as you flip a painting on its side, it's like a landscape. Yeah. And it was something I resisted in, in the work for a long time. And then, you know, I thought it's very, very sort of interesting to sort of change the from flipping from a vertical format to a horizontal format mm -hmm. or dealing with the idea of like a, hor a horizon line or whatnot. It became... I like the idea that the paintings open up to fields or this idea of a landscape in the work without yeah. having a direct relationship to that. And, um, all you need is a line, right? All you need is the a line. horizontal yeah. line and it's a horizon. But I don't know, maybe like subconsciously that relates like growing out, out west or something. I don't know. But I mean, shifting, shifting sort of like painting now so much painting is in sort of a vertical kind of format. It's, yeah. it's really rare to kind of see landscape paintings or horizontal format paintings. And I don't know if that became like a, like in fine art or something like a resist, or like putting it above a couch or no, something I like actually, that. I like, actually know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah. I, please. Because <laughs> I've been working on the show and it's all um, vertical landscapes. Yeah. And, um, it's from a trip I went on and I took all these pictures and I usually don't use my photographs in my work unless it's yeah. for drawings or, and um, I came back and I did all these paintings and they're, they're small and they're vertical. And um, you know, I was talking to someone about the work and they were like, well, why are they vertical? And I was like, I don't, I just kind of like the challenge of making a landscape painting in a vertical format. It, it requires yeah. a different kind of cropping. That was kind of an after the fact explanation and then i went to take a picture of one of them and it fit perfectly in my iphone oh there you go you know it's yeah. like i didn't tilt it and it fit perfectly and i was like that probably had a huge influence on because i would still crop the image it wasn't like i just took the photo and yeah. i used that to paint it yeah i was tweaking it but it was in that that aspect ratio of being you know yeah. a portrait style you know and they they fit perfectly on even if I was cropping them and, and blowing them back up or whatever, they were always in that kind of iPhone orientation. Yeah. So maybe that's having an effect on the way people Our culture obsessed with well, selfies. I don't I mean, know, like the camera, it's become so convenient, right? It's yeah. such a way that we experience the landscape and well, everything. It, it is a direct. I think you know you see this in painting over the, its history, like 
I mean, it goes back and back and back. But, you know, the advent of the cam- camera just completely changed the direction of painting. Yeah. And, you know, really, like, you see the development of abstraction and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even moving into kind of abex, like, a lot of abex work is all in sort of a horizontal format and deals so much with the presence of uh, that painting and the space. And, you know, I've been thinking a ton a lot lately about, like, Brennan Newman and whatnot, like, yeah. and these kind of issues, and sort of like the paintings are so unforgiving. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I'm directly referencing back to those works or trying to repeat those ideas, but I think kind of what we were talking about earlier, presenting, maybe we're not as accustomed to that format of right. vision. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, and maybe that, maybe there's something behind that, and like how we experience that in, in that moment in time is has something interesting behind it yeah um or relevant to kind of the way in which the world is now yeah um just think about the change in painting too with color when synthetic colors came out you know totally changed the way we see things but that i mean that format too is also sort of so apparent in how we experience technology like the horizontal format in terms of like widescreen television yeah widescreens on your laptop whatnot like that 16.9, you know, why, like, HD, that changed things, too. You know, things just became longer. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I I think a lot about that. I haven't come to any conclusions, but it's, like, even just, like, going back to classic sort of Renaissance proportions. Like, I work pretty closely to a golden ratio kind of system. Like, Mm -hmm. all the paintings are, you know, thought in those kind of terms. Like, working with that logic allows for uh, still really interesting things happen and even I mean even if we look at like how objects are designed like a lot is still a lot works around these yeah and it, it's it's funny when you like start realizing why things are designed the way they are right and why and how paintings can like kind of work within that well it's a visual language you know yeah. they're images yeah. and we're making images based on all the imagery we take in and everything's well not everything but a lot of things are filtered these days through certain vehicles which and the speed of it changes so much too and that speed has a large effect i think on the way we create the way we interpret it's just it's exciting it's weird and exciting to go through such an accelerated shift in the way that we digest the world you know well i think that's Somewhat that is in the paintings too in the show, like this idea of like, so the paintings are on raw canvas, they have black and they have like a neon pink, but the black's not really black mm-hmm. and the pink's not really neon pink. Like the black comes out of the tube straight black and it's really matte and it has this uh, really kind of flat surface, mm-hmm. but it's not a harsh black. Right. It and absorbs, the, right? It absorbs, and it's not as dark as it could be. It could mm-hmm. be darker. And then on the other end of the spectrum, like the white and the neon pink in the show, I mean, the neon pink absorbs into the canvas. It's just like one coat that's, I mean, I worked a long time trying to figure out how to get this sort of as even as it is, but mm-hmm. um, getting uh, like the fluorescent pink to not only apply evenly and in sort of one coat, but like kind of saturate the fibers of the canvas. So, yeah. I mean, the effect is this 
it's neon pink, but like just under neon pink because it's the raw canvas under it's underneath canvas it desaturates pink. it. Yeah. But I think what's kind of and then the raw canvas is like this kind of creamy color. It's mm -hmm. a color of raw canvas. But the three together, like in the paintings, it almost appears like because I'm so accustomed to doing like really harsh black and really like stark white paintings, like yeah. it almost appears to have this like filter or this veil of light over the paintings, almost like a scrim mm -hmm. where all the edges are extremely contrasting and super hard. Like the colors, there's a little bit of like, um, I don't know, just like they ease off a little bit. It almost feels like there's an atmosphere in the work. There's a softness to it. There's a softness yeah. that counteracts the uh, harshness of the geometry. Yeah. And I really kind of, I knew that was there in the work, but mm -hmm. really getting them together, I hadn't experienced that full effect in the work. You see it more, yeah, you can collectively kind of hits you. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that idea of like, they be, appear to be super harsh and aggressive and cold and like, I mean, there's no, like, black is the darkest color. Like, it's so intense. It's, yeah. It weighs so much in the work. And then, I mean, the reason I chose the neon pink was to kind of counteract that and have a color that really projects back at you and has a visual, like, optical weight that the black carries more of a physical weight right. to it. So that was kind of the choice for dealing with those kind of pairings of the colors. But I didn't realize how soft they'd be. Mm -hmm. like yeah. in the end yeah the the canvas really well it is like a scrim in a way yeah. cause it's painted into it you know so it diffuses the, the you know the opacity well not so it's yeah. opaque but I mean it does it, it changes the way that that paint is seen because it's absorbed you know well, as and opposed these to sitting on a surface absolutely and I think like these these plays like that kind of conscious of and that we experience and the work become the content become the sort of attitude in the work, become the sort of way in which the history of the work is addressed. Like being conscious of these things and how they function over and over and over throughout the work is how the paintings are self-conscious of what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the show looks great. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So before we wrap up, I want you to give me an artist, a musician or group, and a writer, poet, or s someone in literature that you've been into lately that's been in your mind in the studio? One, one of each? One of each. Oh, okay. That's been in, this in my head in the studio Someone recently. lately that you've just been into? Uh, I think, like, artists are so many right now, but... Well, you can hit me with more than one if you want. I mean, obvious. there's... I feel like it's so obvious that there's a direct relationship to um, some of Larry Bell's stuff, mm -hmm. Tony Smith. Yeah. Been really sort of getting interested in um, Gunther Fjord's work mm -hmm. in relation to uh, architecture and whatnot, what yeah. he's doing there. Um, wow, music. It's been, um, I mean, mostly kind of what we were talking about earlier. We've been in the synth, yeah. like... Like early kind of synth. What was the uh, record label again? Uh, Minimal Wave. Minimal Wave. It was great. Um, but a lot of what they're doing, like Oppenheimer, now, Oppenheimer analysis, mm -hmm. um, like Grier's connection's been huge on it. 
I need to but, check this. This is stuff that I don't know, which I feel like it's great. But also, like, in a, I thought like this was so bad, but I've been really getting back into like Beethoven. <laughs> Weird way, <laughs> it's like so nerdy and so cliche, no, no, but I like at the same time, it's like there's a, I don't know. This summer, like when I was at this residency last summer, we were joking around, we're like, "Well, be totally romantic and listen to classical music." <laughs> For the entire time we're here, because uh, Chopin had spent some time in that area, and we're like, and I was like listening to Chopin, and then just somehow moved straight to Beethoven. And I was like, it started off kind of as a joke, but then I started getting really into like, it. No, this is really this good. This is really good. And yeah, I thought it was so cliche to listen to this, but whatever. Who cares? Listen, I've been on a huge drum and bass kick. And oh yeah, yeah, it totally. It was like funny for a few days. I was like, oh yeah, I remember drum and bass. And I've been in it for weeks yeah, now. It starts as a joke, and then you get sucked in. You can, you can nerd out to that stuff. I mean, I just... And now with playlists like Spotify. Yeah. I mean, I can listen to hour, hours and hours and hours of it. And well, it never repeat, you know. Yeah, somehow you start somewhere, and then you end up like in a Spotify vortex of... Yeah. I started with, I don't know, like the Beatles, and somehow ended up in drum and bass, and now I'm like <laughs> Sisters of Mercy or something. I don't know, like... Did you ever listen to Knights or Ebb? Do you remember? Yeah, that's great. I kind of grew up on that stuff. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's that so good. that's like something you can revisit nowadays. Yeah. Like I would never go back to a record store and buy a Knights or Ebb record. Yeah. But if it's on Spotify, you know. Hey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, what else? Writers? I haven't been doing a ton of reading lately. Yeah. Um, it's hard to read. You know, I joke around with people and I say, I don't read. And yeah. I can't read. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I say, well, when you're, when all my time is spent in the studio, unless you're an audiobook head, it's, yeah. it's hard to, to visually read. And when I try to read before I go to sleep, I'm out within a minute. I'm out cold. Yeah. I mean, I've been reading a little bit here and there. I haven't been reading a ton lately. I mean, recently I've been revisiting a little bit of like Baldriard's writings. Just, I don't know why, like. Did you read it in school? Like, or did I read it in school, and then there's been a couple shows up recently. Like, uh, a friend curated the BMPT show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always been kind of interested in Olivier Mosset and whatnot, but there's some interesting writings on him. Yeah. Um, and then also kind of revisiting, like, Peter Halley's writings and whatnot. Because mm-hmm. um, there's obviously a direct relationship to his work and sort of what I'm thinking about. But... Literature, I, I have no idea right now. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to your next show because I know now you're going to be in the studio listening to Bach and Beethoven <laughs> and working on romantic oil paintings yes. a la John Singer Sargent. Yes. This is going to be a big turn for you. We're, I'm thinking <laughs> maybe some some Hudson River Valley painting. Yeah, Cole. Yeah, yeah big Thomas Cole painting. I, I love that work. It's so amazing. Good. It's so the good. sublime. You know, we, we had a moment there where we thought that the digital realm was the new sublime, but we're going to go back to nature. Yeah. It's, it's you know, when those hurricanes and hey, <laughs> those tornadoes yeah, yeah. hit, we're in the face of God. We feel the sublime yeah. again. So there I think go. it's going to go back to the, <laughs> we got to find a new place. So the Hudson River is a little gentrified at this point, I think. Yeah, or <laughs> just a nice place. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And that's true. That's true. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk. Thank you. All Pleasure right. to have you. Thanks.